When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Oi, oi, I'm Jimmy Bullard and this is me old Mac of Fenners. We're back together, son. How are you? Hi, Bully. Great to be back working with you. What are we doing here, though? We're starting a football club in podcast form. The only thing we know, it's called FC Bullard. After that, it's all up for grabs. So... We haven't got any players, we haven't got a kit, we haven't got a club badge, we haven't got a stadium. Correct. FC Bullard. Welcome to the club. This is a crowd podcast. Sometimes the world can make you feel low So come and sit down with my friend Joe And listen to the Mahler Show Listen to the Joe Mahler Show Oh, yeah, I think you can make that bit longer A bit longer Just the last bit, like Mahler Show Let's make it everyone's show that's why we hashtag grow the show. And there's been a number of people out there already that have actually remarkably been sharing the hashtag grow the show. I can't believe it. So thank you. Thank you for hashtagging grow the show. Joe Milo, I've got a question for you. The question is this. Would you rather be an international rugby player or an astronaut? I guess being an astronaut is the peak in the job world. I see what you've done. So clever. So <laughs> clever. I mean, that might go over some people's heads. We are talking to Tim Peake, the actual astronaut. I will definitely be asking him if that's his real name. Why is there a chance it's not his name? He's an astronaut and his name's Tim Peake. Yeah, but he's not called Jimmy Space. I'll ask him. We'll get the answer from him. Listen, I'm officially pumped for this one. This yeah. is huge. Probably we're out of our depth. I think he's probably too classy, big, famous a guest for where we are at the moment. He's not just out of our league, Tom. He's out of our universe. <laughs> Fuck's sake. Yeah, but the International Space Station is still in our universe. It's, okay. It's only, I'd say only. It's 250 miles above where we are now. It's just probably zipping over our heads. He's it's, not coming from the International Space Station. He left it a number of years ago. Or did he? Because like, there's the space and time and light continuum. That Does that mean I'm, he's going to be late? Steve, make sure he's here on time because I've got to get a train at four. Do I need to do a countdown before he comes in? Yes, please. Beep. Ten. Nine. It would take Start at five. Starts at five. Five. That's still too... Just get in. Three, two, one. Three. Come in. (laughs) Countdown activated. I'm going to have to burst your bubble because there is no countdown. Oh, fuck. It is so disappointing. 
How do you yeah. know when it's yeah. going to go then? It doesn't just like <laughs> it sprung upon you. Get a strap just to you. Oh, he's gone. He's gone. <laughs> just not me last minute. What's that? Yeah. No, I, I was expecting a countdown like you would, but we have our Russian instructor who is in mission control, actually at the rocket launch pad. So he's not back in Moscow. This is out in Baikonur in Kazakhstan, and he's talking us through the engine ignition sequence. So we know when we're going to lift off because he's telling us, you know, engines at medium thrust, ramping up full thrust, five seconds till uh, rocket lift in the launch pad. But there is no ten, nine, eight, seven, six, and, and it's just when you want a really good countdown, you don't get it. Surely yeah. you do the countdown in your head, no? You do, yes, because yeah, yeah. we we have uh, timers just a little plastic $2 timer that's velcroed in front of us. No. And, you know, we, we, we sink and we, we, we could all, we're all watching the time, so we know to the second when the rocket is going to leave is, the launch pad. Is that because you spent all your money on your £6 million? Pound, what was it? $12 million for a spacesuit. Is that, it's, that ballpark? It's about $12 million for the spacesuits that we wear for a spacewalk, yes. I mean, that's a mini space station. It's got to keep you alive outside for eight hours. So that's expensive. The spacesuits that we wear inside, the Soyuz, no, they're, they're much, much cheaper. I mean, they're kind of soft three million. fabric. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Throw away three million. But still uh, enough for you to not be able to afford a proper uh, countdown <laughs> timer. Yeah, right, okay, yeah. so just $2 on that. <laughs> but no, what I love about the Russians is that everything is made as easy and as simple as possible. It's pretty much over-engineered. There's as minimal software, you know, because software can go wrong. So if they can make something with a physical valve or a switch or a dial or a button, it will be. Let's say you can hear the rockets. Joe, can you do the rockets? That's it. Tim, what is going through your head? You're about to lift off into space. Yeah. What are you thinking? Uh, at this point, you are, you are thinking lots of different things. Uh, huge excitement. There's a lot of noise, a lot of vibration. Nine million horsepower pushing you from underneath. So you're off. You're smiling, enjoying it. And at the back of your mind, I'm not going to lie, at the back of your mind, there's a little voice that's saying, I hope it all goes well. How at the back of your mind is that? Because <laughs> for me, if I was sitting in... I'm just trying to picture it. Are you sat back? Are you looking you up? Are. Yeah, you are. You're, you're lying on your back. You're looking up at the sky. Like you the films. are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Good. Um, so that wouldn't be at the back of my mind, that thought of, I hope I'm okay. I hope it goes well. That would be very much like here on my brow, <laughs> through my eyes quite frankly shitting myself you have spent so many years training for it i mean you know it's something you really really want to do and you've been in the simulator you've done all the emergencies under the sun um you know what to do if something goes wrong and frankly during launch if something goes disastrously wrong there's nothing you're going to be able to do about it anyway so it's a case of enjoy the moment it really is it's excitement and it's adrenaline and it's just enormous amount of fun you know riding a rocket into space to go back to that whole countdown thing actually to take our minds off that thought before we're being launched we have music played into the capsule and that is right up until the final kind of two minutes prior to launch. So we're sitting there very happy, just having a chat. We've done all our checks and procedures. And our instructor had put on the final countdown by Europe. Um, and so that's, uh. that's blasting into the, the capsule. <laughs> very cheesy. but uh, Yeah, that is. Uh... <laughs> so no prodigy. No, like... In the space. <laughs> <laughs> what about a bit of uh, Zyvid Bowie? I had, I had three tracks. I didn't choose Bowie. Actually, I had um, U2, Beautiful Day, 
I had Queen, Don't Stop Me Now. And, makes sense. Um, it makes sense. Coldplay, Sky Full of Stars. So They're all very uh, space-related. All space-related. Was that a theme? It, it had crossed my mind, oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> I just, it was just accident, Joe. It turned out they're all about space. <laughs> just one, just, yeah, thank you, Tom. <laughs> I fucked that one up, didn't I? I mean, shit, idiot, idiot. You know, when you walk out for an international, I'm not saying that's the same as being blasted into space, but I bet you have a little moment in the dressing room thinking, I'm not sure I fancy this. I do fancy this. Do I fancy this? Yeah, I've worked hard to get it. It must be like a tiny... It's like funny you off. say that, Tom. Actually, I have several moments yeah. like that where, you know, instead of the rockets, I can hear like the sort of crowd noise. Yeah, or yeah. yeah when we did have crowds, up. yeah. And yeah. you're like, oh, God, what if it fucks up? What if I really... St- oh, no, I can't do it. And then you're like, yeah, no, I do want to do it because you want that. You're chasing that buzz, that yeah. sort of adrenaline yeah. thing. And I'm still incredibly surprised that Apollo 13 didn't put you off. Yeah, presume you watched that. I and did. Armageddon. Apollo thirteen is my favourite movie of all time. Um, I love it, and, and it didn't put me off at all. I think, it, if anything, Gravity before doing a spacewalk was more nerve wracking because Apollo thirteen. If something like that goes wrong, there's really not much you can do. But on a spacewalk, the potential for you as an individual to mess up is huge absolutely huge and there's only two of you out there you both rely on each other completely and if you fall off the station if you you know lose something if you tear your spacesuit there are just a million things where you can mess up and that's it and i think that for the whole time you're out there you're really aware of that and so that's the time that i was thinking come on you've got to be on your game here were you on the international space station at the same time as another man named tim I was, yeah, yeah. Was that an issue at all when someone, you're on a spacewalk, someone goes, Tim, turn left, and oh, not, not that Tim. We never thought it was. Tim and I worked, we worked so closely together, and we always knew almost exactly what each other were thinking, because he, he's a, an American army pilot as well, Apache pilot like myself, and uh, we got on very, very well. Um, people you say, but it's going to be a problem. We're like, it's not going to be a problem. So they said, but don't you, don't you want to come up with call signs or do something different or change your names? We're like, no. So we went up there as Tim and Tim and it, it worked out just fine. Yeah, another example of pushing the limits and being an adrenaline junkie. Yeah. You know, living on the edge. It was like, I'm not going to change my name. Almost encouraging the rest of your team to fuck up. <laughs> you know, do you know what I mean? Make it edgy. That's yeah, how I'm exactly. reading this now. They're like, exactly. no, we're not going to change our name. We, we'll leave that to you lot to shit yourself about it down here. We had a moment at the end of the spacewalk when Tim's helmet started leaking. Get, uh, water was coming into it, which should never happen. And this sort of golf ball size of water was, was coming into his helmet. And, uh, and <laughs> someone was coming in with the radio. OK, Tim, you're going to become um, EV2 now. And, and, and Tim switched to EV1. <laughs> but we, <laughs> we, knew, we knew exactly what they meant. This thing about, because there's not many of you on the ISS, and you must have to trust each other totally. But at the same time, you've all come from, well, you've got different nationalities, you've got different backgrounds. I've been reading loads about Apollo 11 ahead of our chat because it blows my mind every time I see anything about it, read about it. And the stuff that stuck with me was the relationship between Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin and Michael Collins. So it sounds like Neil Armstrong was a bit aloof sometimes. Buzz could be a bit of a maniac and then Michael Collins knows the other two get the glory there's this phrase that they use which is amiable strangers 
Mm. And they were up there for way less time than you guys. Yeah. And you do, you get on differently with other crew members. Um, you're up there with six people in total, but only three of you stay together for the whole six months. When I got on board, Scott Kelly was our commander. He was staying up there for a year. He was already eight months into his year-long mission at that point, which is a crazy length of time to spend on the space station, along with uh, Misha Kornienko, uh, one of his Russian uh, colleagues, and uh, Sergei Volkov, and all military pilots. And what was funny, on Friday nights, we'd go down to the Russian segment and have a meal together and, and sort of talk what, like about a, the week. Like a pub? Uh, it's just like a, a pub, pub up there. Well, it's, it, it's, it's nice just to kind of get together. You've been working so hard, you're very busy during the week, and often you'll actually work as an individual. So it's nice at the end of the week just uh, down tools. Uh, down tools very carefully so they don't float off and... <laughs> Yeah, I, I love I love how you've stuck to a Friday night as well. Yes, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, then, guys, let's let's go down the pub on a Friday night you know, as a working week. I love that you still do. You not lose time. It's easy to do. It's not a Monday so, or Tuesday. I mean, it's just space. Yeah, yeah. And 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 if you're not on your watch, you would do that. I mean, you you see sixteen sunrises and sunsets a day, so it's very easy to get out of sync if you didn't just hang stick on, to hang the, on, the hang schedule, on, hang so. on. <laughs> I can't get my head around that one. You see 16 sunrises and sunsets a day. Yes. Yeah. Can either of you <laughs> help me out with this one? Well, don't look at me. So, hang on, hang on. This is going to be really stupid, I know. I can sense it. There's one sun, is there? Yes. There's one big sun. <laughs> Just clarifying that. Why does it rise and set 16 times? So the sun stays where it is, and we're going around the Earth every 90 minutes. So every hour and a half, we will do a complete orbit of planet Earth. So that takes us 45 minutes of night, 45 minutes of day. So that's 16 sunrises and sunsets in a 24-hour period. Do you go like dark and light all the time? Yeah, every yeah, forty-five every minutes. Every forty-five minutes, so we can. It's you, up and down. You can, be, down. you can be having a, an eleven o'clock coffee break, and it's uh, it's pitch black over Indonesia, and then thirty minutes later, uh, it'll be broad sunlight over the Bahamas. So you're lo- looking out the hatch, and um, and you have to get used to this light and dark coming all the time. Makes it quite hard to get to sleep in the first couple of weeks on board because your your whole body yeah. is kind of out of sync. That just blows my mind. 45 minutes to just get around the world. Halfway around. Halfway yeah. around the world. It took me an hour and a half to get here today. Sussex. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to... I mean, probably not right now. You know, they've got other things to worry about. But at some point, I'll be putting in a complaint to Southern Rail <laughs> saying that this is taking way too long. Something needs to be done here. <laughs> Joe, do you think that situation that Tim's just described, would you make a good astronaut on the ISS? Like, you're... Your small talk, I'm guessing, Tim, must be amazing. So you're saying to Yuri, uh, yeah, how's things, Yuri? And he's looking at you with a blank face. You think, oh, six months with Yuri. It's got to be... This is going to be a long time. You hit the nail on the head there, because with Yuri, that often happens. (laughs) He's a man of few words. He's got no chat at all, Um, Yuri. Oh, no. uh, Let's hope he doesn't listen. He's he's a great guy. He was on his sixth mission to space. He's a hugely experienced cosmonaut. But he is a man of a few words. And a lot of the Russians are like that. But, um, you know, Sergei Volkov was up there. He he wasn't. He was a great party, Life and party soul. animal. Life and soul, yeah. Friday nights, he'd be master of ceremonies at the dinner table. <laughs> I do, the, the picture that sticks in my mind from that bit, though, is that you said dinner table. <laughs> and immediately I'm like, how have you got a like a mahogany <laughs> six-seater table, like round, and you've yeah. all got the chairs, and they're just floating around up there, and you just go... <laughs> All right, guys, it's dinner time now, or supper, 
or is it? You know, you can't tell because the sun keeps coming up. And down. <laughs> yeah. um, you go, right, now's time to eat, eat, and you all grab a chair, and then you all grab the table, and you, like, lock it down somehow. Is yeah. that how it works, or have I got that completely not, wrong? Not quite, yeah. No mahogany. Um, no mahogany, right. It's, it's all kind of aluminium... Alum, I think said aluminum. <laughs> aluminium. Aluminum. Metal. Yeah, <laughs> The metal dining table. Yeah. No, so it's all lightweight alloy stuff we have up there, and it's covered in Velcro so that you can just stick your cans of food or your pouches whatever it is you stick it to the table so it doesn't float off your cutlery as well and there's an electrical food warmer at the side um takes about 20 minutes to warm up your camping pouches it's just camping food that we have up there pre-packaged nasa stuff and a hot water dispenser so you have a cup of tea and soup and noodles and off you go but friday nights are different because we get 10 percent of our food allocation is what they call bonus food so i had uh, chicken curry i had sausage sizzles so, um, sausages gravy and onions that was another meal i had a, a nice salmon dish there beef dish and some desserts as well so on a friday night i would be t- oh bacon sarnies as well which was they were fantastic you know bread that would live in a can and come out still nice and warm buttery and tasting fresh oh. so friday nights i'd be dishing out the bacon sarnies as, as oh, starters not too many though surely you'd, <laughs> you'd just oh you can have half tonight, yeah you know, you want, you all right yuri just one bite i said oh no i was picturing a kebab so no kebabs no kebabs, I'm afraid, no, but the, the chicken curry was good. Oh, that, okay, that was yeah. nice, yeah. Is it true that in the ISS that there's a massive issue with crumbs or you can't mm. eat anything with crumbs? Yes. Yeah, the crumbs are a nightmare Why? because they just go everywhere. They won't settle to the floor without gravity to pull them down, so they just get they float in the atmosphere. And the problem comes when you get something in your eye because you'll be floating along and, and then you get crumbs in your eye. Yuri's crumbs. See them. Yeah, yeah, which is not pleasant. Um, Yuri hasn't got pleasant crumbs. Well, it's, it's not. Just, I mean, the crumb, crumbs <laughs> is actually the least of your worries because uh, it's when it comes to things like nail clippings or people taking off their socks, and because you don't walk, you, your feet don't feel any pressure on the ground. All of the dead skin that we all have on our feet, after about three months in space, your dead skin is falling off in <sighs> flakes and chunks. So when you you're take, like snakes, yeah, absolutely. You're you're when you come back after a six month mission, you're, the soles of your feet are like babies' feet. They're absolutely. Oh, but they feel nice at the end. Best of it. pedicure you, yeah. could, you could ever want. So ignore uh, the ignore the flaky skin floating around. It just think about the end goal. That's yeah. what I'm thinking of. You're getting weirded <laughs> out by the skin bit. I'm getting really excited about your soft feet. But, after the problem months. is, though, that you get the hard skin comes on the top of your feet because we're always hooking our feet underneath rails to keep our feet stabilised so that we're not having any pressure on the soles of feet. But the top of our feet become like lizard feet and they're disgusting. Um, so it's like a roll reversal, smooth underside, hard on top. But to be a good crew member, you just want to make sure personal hygiene, you know, take your socks off next to the ventilation fan, the return fan that's got the filters there. Where's that going, though? Is that just going out in space? That's No, 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 no. Everything is being recycled. Everything. What are you recycling your stinky feet fumes into? Well, we have some really good systems up there that scrub the air, clean the air. They remove all the moisture from the air. So all of the sweat, all of the condensation you're breathing out, all of that becomes drinking water the next day. 
it's it's the whole atmosphere is scrubbed and recycled. Ninety percent of all of our urine is recycled within twenty four hours. So it's uh, just goes back into the whole system. But what? <laughs> Yeah, ninety percent of your urine, yeah, is recycled. Yep, into back into drinking water. So it goes through this filtration process, purification process. It's iodized, and then uh, that's removed, and then it becomes the next day. It's pretty tasty, actually. So you know, you wouldn't you wouldn't know any different. Do you get your own urine, or might you get like you get everybody's? <laughs> you get you know, it's a it's a real bonding Tim, experience. Tim, Tim, those, Tim, Tim. Those Friday nights when we're uh, <laughs> you know we're passing around the tea bags and. <laughs> I, I had a few. I did originally have a few questions that would uh, be classed as mildly inappropriate or toilet chat and stuff like that. And I thought, no, I'm getting to meet Tim Peake here. I want to talk to him about not serious stuff, but you know, stuff that's not just how do you do a shit in space or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? And yet, it's actually you that has brought up all the minging stuff so far with the skanky snake feet, and you're drinking your own piss. Yeah, and yeah. sorry. About I don't know where that. to go with it. <laughs> I thought I'd be all right with it, but Just I don't know where to go with it. Give you some of the, the realities of living in space. Yeah. Can I ask you, since we're on this topic, you know when you go on an aeroplane, Joe, yeah. and you're in economy, sometimes you find yourself with a little bit of a build-up of, of wind, more so in an aeroplane. Is that because it's a pressurised cabin? I don't know. So that happens 12 miles up. If you're 250 miles up, Tim, is it that much worse? It's not. I mean, it happens in an aircraft because they reduce the pressure in an aircraft cabin to about 7,000 feet. But in a spacecraft, we build them uh, strong enough that we can maintain one atmosphere so we don't lose any pressure. So even on the way up in a rocket to space, your ears aren't popping, your stomach's not feeling bloated or anything like that. It's the same pressure inside as it is back here on earth your ears don't pop going up to space no no not at all all right i've just got to get these out of my system if that's okay um so this is all true is it as in you've actually been to space (laughs) okay yes you've actually been up there and there's people like you and other astronauts. Oh, you said cosmonaut earlier. What's the difference between an astronaut and a cosmonaut? It's just uh, Russian, a Russian astronaut. They're called cosmonauts. Okay. Chinese taikonauts. Because it blows my mind to actually believe it. And it's still there's all these conspiracies that the moon landed never actually happened. I, I get a lot from flat earthers. You know, I get a lot of, <laughs> on social media. And it just... Do I don't actually interact with them at all because there's no point. Because people... Who want to believe the Earth is flat yeah. will believe the Earth is flat. So it's not so flat. Stay, it's not, you're stay, saying it's not stay flat. Stay in your happy world. <laughs> you know, so you're, you're stay allowing in your happy that, yeah. world where the Earth is flat and, and leave the rest of us to get on with it. Just um, on record, it's not what, flat. What I love about that, that conspiracy theory, I almost wish it was. Because in order for that to be a conspiracy theory, all of the engineers, all of the pilots, all of the people, you know, navigate around the world on ships, uh, you know, it goes on and on. Everybody <laughs> it's quite builds, a big one. You build a gas pipeline, yeah. design a, a bridge over a river. I mean, everybody knows that the Earth is round and we have to take it into account for so many things. So it would almost be hilarious to think that the Earth was flat and 90% of the Earth's population would have to be in on it. This view you get, Tim, when you're in the International Space Station, probably the best view that anyone will ever see. What I find amazing is a lot of astronauts, when they see the Earth, it seems to do something to all of them. There's a guy, Joe, called Edgar Mitchell, who was one of the astronauts on Apollo 
14, he had this almost mystical experience after being on the moon. He said he felt an intelligence in the universe. He felt connected to it. It changed him so totally that he thought he was having ESP conversations with people back on like extrasensory perception. Thank you. Conversations yep. with his mates back on Earth. He got into faith healing. He believed in UFOs. It seems to do something, Tim, to all you men and women who have been up into space. You come back and something's changed. You're absolutely right. You do get a changed perspective. And I felt it was really strong outside on a spacewalk, floating there at the edge of the space station, you know, watching the Earth go into the shadow. And that was a very, very surreal moment, very serene. And the juxtaposition there was you almost feel like you're an imposter. You feel like you shouldn't be there. We, we This is not a view that humans should be looking at. But at the same time, it feels completely comfortable and completely natural and very serene. You do not feel... It's not like the hair-raising adrenaline rush of a free-fall parachute. It's very, very peaceful. Do you believe in God? I don't, no. I'm a scientist at heart. I'm agnostic. I call myself agnostic because I, I think that... If you're an atheist, then you actually believe in something. You yeah. believe that God doesn't exist. And then if you, you know, you're religious, you have faith, then you believe in some sort of, you know, God. And I think the jury is out. I, there is so much we do not know about this universe. In fact, we only know 5% of matter in the universe is that's 5% of the universe. The rest of it we call dark energy and dark matter. We have no idea what it is. So it's way too early to start having a position on what really is driving this universe, how it came into existence, what this universe is all about. 5%. We only know 5%. How do we know we only know 5% if we don't know what 100% is? <laughs> oh, smart. <laughs> very smart. I like what you've yeah, done yeah, there. that's a very good question. We estimate that, yeah, five, uh, knowing what the, the way that the galaxies work and the expansion of the universe, we, we reckon, you know, 5% of is visible matter is what we can see. Um, so when you look up on a starry night, that's a fraction of actually what the universe is composed of emotionally so as a rugby player i've spoken to a couple of boys south africans unfortunately that actually won the world cup in 2019 oh god <laughs> i can tell you're getting emotional now so that's their pinnacle that's our pinnacle is winning the world cup that's what we strive yeah. for that's yeah. that's where we're going and uh, one of them who i played against recently is just so disinterested just can't be bothered. He's he's still playing, got no motivation, no inspiration to drive because he's reached his summit. He's reached his peak. It's nice, yeah. That is your real name, is it? It is, it is, yeah. It did you, change, yeah. Are you sure? I pr promise you. It's promise just me. it's convenient that you, <laughs> your name's Tim Peake and you pick anyway. So they've reached their summit and I'm guessing going to space is a pretty big deal. Is there part of you that's, when you did come back from that, that you're really deflated. You're mm. like, well, what now then? I've, yeah. done, I've done that. Yeah. I've done it now. What, what do I do now? Yeah, you do feel quite flat afterwards. And there was, uh, you know, there was a moment saying goodbye to Tim and Yuri, and this was just a couple of hours after landing. And we knew that was the end of the mission, and you kind of, that was, there was a line being drawn underneath it, and we would all three of us be going off to different lives. And, and that was quite sad, you know. Yeah. It, it was closure. Uh, and, um, and we had spent six months, you know, living and working side by side and having this great experience. And so, yeah, it was sad to, to kind of say 
goodbye to them and to bring the mission to an end. You strike me, Tim, as an unbelievably well-adjusted, balanced person. But some people who've done what you've done have gone off the rails. Buzz Aldrin became an alcoholic, I think. Was there ever a point where some of that darkness was trying to get in and with your mental strength and your training, you sort of looked at it and then just pushed it away? I think you do have to look after yourself, yes, throughout training throughout the mission and even now in the post-flight period and I'm a family man uh, you know I've, I've got two young boys and um, they're my world and there have been times when that has been a very tough balance the time I've spent away from my kids growing up I found that extremely hard uh, actually I didn't find the six months in space so hard I I equated that to just like being in the military you know six months in Afghanistan off you go operational missions six months in space and it was probably easier for the family to deal with my being away during that time as well because they could just get on they knew where I was I wasn't going anywhere else um, <laughs> and and they could get on with their lives uh, what what was more disruptive was the two and a half years before that when I was just coming Coming and going, I'd be home for a week, I'd be off for six weeks, I'd be back for a week. That resonates with me because with rugby going back and forth, yeah, back and yeah. forth. Obviously, it's not quite as far. Penny Hill in, <laughs> in Surrey isn't, I mean, did you say 250 miles up? Miles up, yeah, it's slightly less, but takes longer apparently. So, <laughs> anyway, I'll get over that. And I, I, I've found that hard throughout my career, leaving my family because mm. I'm a family man as well. They are, they're my world. Yeah. And your wife must be a saint. Yes. To have put up with it, to be honest. Yeah. And not have that resentment towards you because you're ultimately trying to chase your dream, trying mm. to chase your goal. Yeah. The difference is there's a real fear that it's unlikely, but there's a chance that you don't come back. Yeah. And I don't yeah. want to be too down on it, but mm. it's different from me going away for a rugby camp. Yeah. You're going away to a space station. What are your boys saying? Are they like, oh, yeah. hang on a minute, Dad? Yeah, that you know, the the kind of saying goodbye to the boys as I went off to the launch pad, that was hugely emotional. And again, as I, I kind of mentioned, you know, there's that voice in the back of your head when you're sitting in the rocket. Well, when I was kind of saying goodbye to them and, and literally looking through the window of the bus and uh, just thinking, don't let this be the last time. Don't let this be the last time. You know, and um, there's an element of of selfishness I think in in exploration you know in, in what we do and I think there has been throughout the years but I'm also passionate about it and I think if I think we need to explore we we've needed explorers throughout history we've needed people who push the boundaries and we will do in the future and you know if I'm not prepared to do it then um, why should I expect somebody else to and it's it's in my nature why should I just sit at home and, and do something different and lie to myself you might find this Joe when you go away for a trip with the kids it always helps if you promise to bring them back a souvenir <laughs> so what come on Tim so you get back and you've gone boys I've got an amazing screwdriver that works with no gravity so actually just not much used to here boys <laughs> they haven't got their souvenirs yet I, t I, I took them a watch up which they'll get both for their 18th birthdays um, so that'll be the souvenirs that they'll get but um, every week we get to have a video conference so that was a lot of fun because you know their attention spans only about five minutes but for that five minutes I'd be <laughs> growing water bubbles and, and drinking it through a straw or, or playing, <laughs> playing with M&Ms up there and bouncing them off the roof and eating them and doing somersaults and so and, and then taking them for a little tour around the space station showing them out the hatch so they loved all that I mean that, 
I love how you said earlier there was an issue with crumbs. Like it's, that's a big problem. Mm. And then you've just willy nilly gone. Yeah, I'm just blowing water bubbles and M and M's just throwing them round <laughs> for the boys. <laughs> just for the boys on Facetime. Yeah, just all right, lads. Well, you had had this uh, plastic ball of M and M's. In fact, this is one of the the stories I'm, I mentioned in the book that I was coming back from one of those video calls, having been playing with uh, these M and M's in a plastic ball, and I was flying through the hatch because I was late to get to work on the next project and the this plastic ball clipped the top of the hatch and split open and about <gasps> a thousand M&Ms <laughs> went went flying down the Russian segment yeah Yuri's like <laughs> see you yeah. for fuck's sake <laughs> yeah. Yeah. he's getting fucking peppered he's like, oh, he's a red one <laughs> we were we were Just finding pe- them from months to come literally up until everywhere. the last day everywhere, everywhere. Yeah. up until the last day there was the odd M&M floating around <laughs> Floating around, there's probably still some up there right now floating around. <laughs> yeah, not my, not my finest hour. <laughs> Tim, would you be able to introduce the ads as if you were doing a call back to Mission Control? <laughs> I'll try. <laughs> Ready? Beep. Houston Station on Space to Ground One. We'll be back after this ad break. Beep. Oh, I feel like I'm there. This is the story of Whitney Houston, of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died, and why we're still talking about them so long after. It's like nothing you've ever heard before. That feeling. That feeling. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now. Jump into the beeps. <laughs> Beep. Welcome back. Oh, maybe Russian. How do you say welcome back in Russian? Oh, just say привет, uh, which is hi. Привет. 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 Beep. Привет. Beep. Have you stitched me up? No, it's just, it's just hi. It's just hello. It's easier. Easier I'm to say. I'm worried. I think Russian <laughs> listeners disgusted throwing their phones down. Yeah. He said, what? It's a shame because I was really aiming for the... Russian, the Russian demographic. <laughs> right, me and Joe arrive on the ISS, Tim. Yeah. What's our first day look like? What time's the alarm call? Uh, alarm call, six o'clock. Uh, check Quite laptop. A bit punchy, isn't it? Yeah, spend an hour just kind of catching up on what's about to happen because lots changes overnight when you're sleeping. People in mission control are changing your day. So you go to sleep thinking it's going to be one thing. You wake up, there might be some changes. So, so you spend an hour just making sure the day is all planned out. Seven o'clock, grab a quick breakfast. 7.15, you have your first tag up around the world. So it's called the Daily Planning Conference. We speak to Houston uh, and then we go to Huntsville, Alabama, talked about our science for the day. Then we talked to Munich. Then we talked to Scuba, just outside Tokyo. And then we finish with Moscow. So quick round the world to all the mission control centres. Only takes about 15 minutes. So 7.30, you're off, ready to start your day. And you have a a schedule all planned out, lots of different activities. And um, you have this red line, which is just marching across the screen, which is horrible. It's just a timeline, but you have to stick to schedule, you know. And and if you're ahead of schedule, that's good. If you're behind schedule, it's going to be a bad day. Why? Why are you up there? And what are you doing? Like, what is is the purpose of us being in space? Because from my very small knowledge, 
uh, originally from a film I watched. What was it? The Right Stuff you recommended. I was telling you to watch The Right Stuff. Yeah, Yeah, so there was a line in it that was like, um, if we rule the air now, if we rule Mm. space, we'll rule the world. So is that the point? Are we sending stuff up there to rule the world? Or are we sending the stuff up there to find aliens? Are we sending stuff up there to find alternative fuels or what are we do- why why are you going up there that's kind of what i'm asking yeah yeah no it's a good question and the space station is very much about peaceful purposes there's nothing military about it it's all about the uh, national space agencies doing scientific research so that's that's nasa that's the european space agency roscosmos from russia Canadian Space Agency and Japanese Space Agencies. So those five organisations have built the space station and run it as a science laboratory. And the reason it's a fantastic place for science is because we're in weightlessness and everything on Earth for four billion years has evolved in a 1G environment and so if you take things into a zero g environment you know any scientist knows you change the parameter you're going to get some interesting results some of the things that we're looking at are things like medical research so you can grow very pure very large protein crystals um, which enables us to develop drugs for diseases like motor neuron disease or parkinson's disease we can study viruses up there we can study metal alloys so for engine uh, turbine blades for example we can make metals in space that you cannot make on earth they're very very light very elastic very strong and whilst we can't make them on earth what we do is we bring them back and then engineers at rolls-royce or whoever can study them and try and get as close to that as possible so we've been able to make engines much more efficient much more fuel efficient much lighter so probably about 60 percent of our time is science but then the space station's 20 years old um, this year, or it's been occupied for 20 years this year, so we have to maintain it. So there'll be maintenance activities and then a couple of hours of fitness every day as well because in space our bodies want to get very lazy and relax and adjust to weightlessness and so uh, you can let your body do that but you're going to lose muscle mass you'll lose bone density and your cardio will go completely out of shape and it'll be very punishing when you get back to earth so we exercise to stay fit for coming back to earth so have you got a have you got a separate gym so, you know, you said yeah. you've got a dining room. Yep, yep. You've got the Russian section where it's full of M&Ms because you've lobbed <laughs> them all down there. And then have you got a separate pod that's your gym? Have you got like a, a barbell? Have you got a cross trainer? What? What's how, yeah. how on earth are you exercising in space, basically? Because yeah. you did a marathon, didn't you? I did, yes. So we have a treadmill. It's pretty tricky to run, actually, because it's very narrow. Um, so you have to really, every footfall, you have to watch um, where you're going. So it's, it's not the easiest thing to run. And you have a bungee system that keeps you strapped down so that you don't float off. So that's the treadmill. We have a bike machine, um, which is simply a set of pedals uh, because you don't need a seat. So we just clip our feet with these um, you know, bike shoes into the pedals. And then you just float in there. You can you know, hold on to the side of the space <laughs> it's station. It's just pedals. Just pedal. Yeah, just jump on and pedal. <laughs> But that's probably the best cardio workout we get. It's really tough. And then for the multi-gym, it uses two vacuum cylinders. So the vacuum cylinders give us the resistance. So we can do bench press, bicep curls, squats. We, we focus a lot on squats because it's all that weight-bearing stuff that we want to do. The thing that's really hard to exercise is, is your core. So we come back and, you know, we're in good physical shape, but then you go to bend over and try and pick up a suitcase or something, and you realise you've got, you've got no core you've got strength. pot belly. Yeah, <laughs> pot belly, no core strength. <laughs> I struggle with that on earth, mate. So. <laughs> you spoke earlier about um, your first meal being a bacon sarnie when you went up there. Yeah. And we've spoken about 
having those thoughts in your mind when you're about to take off and leaving your family behind that week or that month before going away do you treat it a little bit like death row (laughs) (laughs) not that not that you then start walking around like handcuffed all the time and you're like oh i've got to pretend i've done that what i mean is do you treat it like well there's a possibility i might not come back so i want to tick off some of these bucket list ideas with the kids and and I'm going to have a Chinese. Is that not a bit prosaic? Have a Chinese? I thought you were going to say like bungee jump with the kids. Sorry. <laughs> don't, get, don't get a takeaway. So I was thinking of the food bit. That would be my last meal. That would be my... Do you treat it like that? No, or no? no, no, no. No, I mean, you you do have occasional thoughts, like I said, when saying goodbye and the rest of it and on the rocket, you're, you're aware that you're doing something that's high risk, but you certainly don't spend much time thinking about it or dwelling about it so the week before launching you're in quarantine anyway so you you're not in any position to be ticking off any bucket lists uh. but uh no it's it's actually you know it's a period is quite pleasant because you've been so busy you've been manic running around the world doing all this training and exams and everything and that last week before you fly, you're in quarantine, nobody can get to you, and it's a chance to just have some peace and quiet, get your admin sorted out before going to space. Um, your family do come down to Baikonur so you can see them. I was able to see the children behind the glass. They weren't able to you know, have any contact because by that point, they're microbiological hazards, aren't they? Little kids in wintertime yeah. in Russia. So I was very fortunate because the night before we flew to space, I spoke to Dr. Savin, who is our Russian surgeon and he's in charge of quarantine so if anybody takes the virus up to the space station you know it's his neck on the block and I'd got to know him quite well and he he knew my family quite well by that point and I said Dr Savin listen it's cold outside can we just go for a walk outside maintain social distancing as we all know by now and just go for a walk with the family down you know Cosmonauts Grove and then back again and he said yeah you can so it was pitch black outside about six o'clock in the evening minus 15 it must have been and uh, just took the boys out and Rebecca and and me and we went for this family walk down Cosmonaut Grove and that was wonderful because it just felt like a bit of normality no glass no quarantine that was very special and I was very very grateful that he gave me that opportunity now Tom was going to bring it up but I'll bring it up I've, I've got trust issues I do I'm working on them and I'm using this platform as a chance to to build up trust with various different people and different walks of life however this is what's going on in my mind at the moment your answer when I go are there aliens whatever answer you come back with I'm going to think you're lying <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. I'm, I'm going to go so with it anyway. I can't win, can so, I? No, no, I'm, no, I'm going to go with it anyway. I'm on a loser from Are there game. aliens up there? Or if not, do you believe there are aliens up there? So the answer to the first question is, I don't know, which you're going to so think there's I'm a lying. Chance. Okay, yeah, okay, <laughs> <laughs> and the answer to the second part of the question is, I think there are. Um, <gasps> oh, God, no. Uh, honestly, the chances of there not being life elsewhere in the universe are so, I, I think, so remarkably small that it would have to be an incredible anomaly for us to be the only life in the universe. In fact, some very intelligent scientists came up with an equation which actually spells out, you know, the number of galaxies in the universe, the number of planets around each star in each galaxy, and then the number of planets that would have a habitable zone in terms of liquid water. And it comes down to the, the probability that there's probably 100,000 civilizations in the 
Milky Way alone, let alone any other galaxy in the universe. There's a hundred thousand so, different types of aliens in the Milky Way. The potential for the potential, the potential for hundred thousand different. What, what and what I find really interesting about Earth is that actually biogenesis happened really quickly on Earth. As soon as the Earth was suitable for life, you know, life sprang up. And then it took another three billion years for that single cell life form to become complex life. So I, I think complex life, intelligent life, I think that is much uh, rarer. But I think life's prevalent everywhere throughout the universe. I think intelligent life, yes, it's there. It's out there. It's probably a lot rarer. And the two problems we have is time and distance. Firstly, the scale of the universe is so vast. How are we ever going to get there if we want to get there and, and reach out and communicate? And then time span, you know, does an intelligent civilization's you know, short moment in this universe coincide with our short moment in this universe? Uh, you know, when on the scale of billions of years, we could just keep on missing each other. And then as Stephen Hawking said, do we really want to reach out anyway? You, you might uh, regret what you find. A friend of mine actually used, when he said, why do you want to find out aliens then? It will only be bad. And yeah. what do you mean? He said, well, he said, imagine in your lounge, there's this colony of fleas. And I went, right. And those fleas start building like houses and towers in your lounge. I'm like, right, yeah, where's this going? And he's like, so we're those fleas and you, the people, are the aliens. Why do you want to find out that the aliens exist? <laughs> You'd better off not knowing. You're better off not going down there. Now, I question his analogy, and I'm slightly embarrassed that I've used it, but it's the best I've got. Yeah. Look out here on Earth as we're the, you know, the supposedly the most intelligent species on Earth, and how are we treating the species that are less intelligent than us? Yes. Oof. Oh, so so if we come across a species that is more intelligent than us, how do we expect them to treat us? So you've answered that really well for me, and we could speak for hours on that. But (laughs) go back to the trust thing. How do I know that you haven't actually met them, the intelligent aliens out there? How do I know that you haven't? And they've gone, here, Tim, nice to meet you. Welcome up here. They've embraced your open arms, several of them probably. Um, (laughs) We'll let you in on some of our secrets. But when you go back down there, you're not allowed to say a fucking word. You can't say anything to anyone. Okay, this is the promise. Or we'll use this super, super laser that they've developed. They probably use the same laser to build the pyramids. And they'll use that just go and they'll just shoot you dead from space in Earth. How do I know that that's, that conversation hasn't taken place? I, I love what goes on in your mind, Joe. I mean, you must, you know. So it hasn't taken place. It hasn't taken place. Would it be a lot of fun if it had? Why did you look away um, when you answered that? I'm struggling here. Because you're not going to believe me, whether, whatever I say, <laughs> so I can't win. I, you're um, right, but I don't know. I just, have you met an alien? No. All right, I'll have to take your word for it. <laughs> Promise. Joe, we, we've got one thing left on our list, but I just feel terrible about asking it. It's that thing on the bottom of the list. Fuck off. <laughs> ah, ah. No, not doing it. I'll do it. If you do it, I'll leave. No, no, I just think you should be able to discuss it. Like we're all grown-ups. Oh, I think I know what it is. No, we're not going there. No, yeah, well, I've, I've, I've read the vibe. I've got the vibe here, mate. We're not going there. And, 185 uh, days, though. No, I think, I think we've got enough. I think we can work it out for ourselves. It's a long time. It's fine. Um, I actually discussed it with my wife beforehand. She was like, don't you fucking dare ask that. And I was like, yeah, you're right. So How many not- days in would you crack? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's the, that's what people want to hear. They want to hear. Yeah, fucking no, I'm not doing that. 
Well, we could sit here and I would quite happily talk to you, Tim, for the next 185 days, but you've got many better things to do. (laughs) Especially if we're ending it like that. (laughs) Um, Yeah, agreed. But I just want to say thank you. Uh, it's been a real pleasure. On. A real pleasure. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Joe. Really has. I've loved it. Enjoyed it. And your book's out now, isn't it? Limitless. It is. It is yeah. Limitless we, is out now. We were talking beforehand because you've done three books already. Yes. Have you? Yeah. Uh, so you did a picture book. Second one was Ask an Astronaut. Ask an Astronaut. The Q and A one. Book. Yeah. And yep. third one was the Astronaut, astronaut Selection Test book. And this one's a little bit more. Well, this is the autobiography. So this is the whole life story. And actually, I really wanted to write about those early years and, and you know, the 18 years of my military career uh, leading up to become an astronaut, because I've spoken a bit about being an astronaut since being selected and since flying. But very rarely have people, you know, said, well, well what does it take to get to become an astronaut? You know, there are so many funny stories in my military career. So it was a real pleasure to write about that. I look forward to reading that one then. Thank, Thank you. you. That was Cheers, guys. Thanks very much. So much to talk about for me there, Joe. The first thing I want to say, though, is people don't talk to each other enough. We do want people to talk to each other. Specifically about this show would be great. If you did enjoy that chat as much as Joe and I enjoyed that chat, Joe, you're not smiling, but I think you enjoyed it. I loved it. Grow the show, please. Tell people about Joe's show. Hashtag grow the show. That was quite efficient for us. Sorry. (laughs) Usually we talk nonsense for a bit before getting those four key messages. We're getting better at this. We're working with haste more. Working with more haste. We're working haste. Working with hay. Nay. And uh, now Steve's losing his shit because <laughs> now we're talking nonsense. Back to the nonsense. Back to the nonsense. Not the show. Fuck the show. <laughs> Back to the nonsense. And we can. Are you okay? My hair looks like hay. Let's talk. Have you changed your mind at all? You said uh, at the start that you would definitely rather be an astronaut than a rugby player. Has that changed your mind at all? All that stuff about spending time with Yuri and not great at conversation no by the sounds of it Yuri doesn't converse deep enough for me but you know that wouldn't be the biggest thing put me off probably the 90% urine recycled to it yeah, but you're a rugby player you've drunk your own piss on a number of occasions <laughs> <laughs> yeah fair enough would I be an astronaut or a rugby player astronaut because there was something in his eye there was a twinkle in his eye when I asked him about the aliens that told me he's met one so I want to be Tim Peak. I want to be Tim because 99% of me believes he knows more than he's letting on. And that is a lot because he's let on a lot. Right, we'll be back next week with more chat and more nonsense. Another guest. In the meantime, if you do fancy another podcast, I would recommend Death of a Rockstar. It's presented by the legendary Elroy Spoonface Powell. Download episodes about Otis Redding, George Michael, Whitney Houston and more. Um, I really like this series, Joe. I'm a bit biased. I sort of, I sort of I'm involved with it. There's a new episode every Thursday. Search for Death of a Rockstar. And Joe, do you know who we've got on next week? Otis Redding. Alas, no, he died at the age of 26. In Which you can 19... find out if you listen 67. to... Have I ruined Death show? of a Rockstar. He wasn't rock, though, was he? He was soul, deep soul. So it should be death of a soul star. Yeah, but the thing is, there's not that many. Well, you could do Marvin Gaye, but then maybe rock in the broadest sense. Grow the show. You grow the show. For me and Tom. Fucking do it now. Dum, dum, 
It's a teacher next week, by the way. We've got, we've got a teacher. <laughs> All the things you ever wanted to ask a teacher about, you know, the things that teachers talk about in the staff room, what school trips are like when kids are trying to buy flick knives, the whole lot. Wow. Next week, we have a teacher from Essex. Tune in. Well, it's a podcast. Don't really tune in. You download it, but... <laughs> it's not a radio show. Download it. <laughs> Crowd Network. A place where you belong. Sports Social Podcast Network.